0: Another episode of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to kick off this episode with the song Apocalypse Now. It comes from Amphibian Man, which is a surf band based out of Kiev, Ukraine. But you don't have to go to the Ukraine to listen to their music. Head over to amphibianman.bandcamp.com and check out the EP. Apocalypse Now to hear this song As well as three other tracks And you can name your price when you buy the EP Check it out, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you When you're done listening to this episode What do we have lined up this week? Well, we've got an old friend coming to the show Uh, Before I announce who that is And if you've already read the show notes, you know Before we get to that, I want to go over An email we got This email comes from somebody named Scott The subject heading was Monster Bash, you got a problem, ha ha And I thought, okay, I continued to read and he writes half of this year's Monster Bash is devoted to the Bowery Boys a film series you have no choice now but to address (laughs) ha ha actually some of the films are pretty good there are several decent horror style films but I would start with Spooks Run Wild it is not one of the best but Bela makes it fun Scott, thank you for writing in. Now, Spooks Run Wild is one that I have seen. They're called the East Side Kids in that instead of the Bowery Boys, right? I don't have a lot of experience with the Bowery Boys. I've got about five-ish months. I'd have to look at a calendar. I have until Monster Bash to get as much Bowery Boys into me as possible. With Brandy Gorsey being one of the guests at Monster Bash this time around, I want to know more about what her father did. I got to watch more of her father's movies. I will be making a point of that. While I haven't covered any of the Bowery Boys movies here on the show, I wouldn't mind talking about Spooks Run Wild. I mean, it's Bela Lugosi. I love me some Lugosi. And yeah, there's always room for Lugosi here on MKR. Scott, thank you for writing in. Now, as I was pulling up Scott's email, I noticed that I had a voicemail sitting here as well. And I haven't even listened to it yet. This is the first time... I'm hearing it. Hi,
1: Derek. This is Steve Turk calling. First, I wanted to wish you Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy 351st episode. Uh, the one with Curse of the Crimson Altar with Stephen D. Sullivan. Oh, I loved it. It was very enjoyable. I'm hearing you and um, Stephen Sullivan go on about different things, it's just, uh, I don't, I, I think you guys could talk forever and it'd be wonderful. I mean, you guys could probably talk about any horror film and I love the positivity that you guys talk about each movie. I mean, Stephen brought it up in your episode about how wh- why would you do a commentary if you're just going to be be negative to a movie, why would people do a uh, podcast on a movie if all they're going to do is just pile on it? I mean, it, and there's some people do that, some people like that. I personally like it when people look at the the good stuff, you know, and talk about some of the miscues that go on. I mean, you know, obviously, you don't want to overlook them and stuff like that, but Basically, I look for honest reviews, and you guys give them to me all the time, especially week in and week out. Uh, looking forward to what you and I have coming up down the road, and I um, hope you have a great 2018 and um, that kind of stuff, and I'm looking
0: forward to the rest of the month's episodes. Give you a call next month. Thanks. Bye. How cool was that? You know, I was talking about Monster Bash and then one of my friends that I made at Monster Bash. Okay, I was friends with him beforehand, but I actually met him for the first time at Monster Bash, called and left a voicemail. That's Steve Dirk. Steve uh, was on the show a while back, uh, a few months ago, and we did a retrospective as we traipsed through all the films of Christopher R. Mim, the Mimiverse movies. That was a blast. And I actually just talked to him the other day on the phone. We are planning a couple of things coming up this year. You know, I know I always say I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. But darn it, I've got some theme months that I want to do this year. And Steve and I cooked up what I think is going to be a really cool theme month, if for no other reason, for the movie that he is very, very excited about me watching for the first time. I've got it here on Blu-ray. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I can tell you it's from, I believe, the 70s. Is that right, Steven? I, I don't I, Anyway, I'm looking forward to checking it out. And uh, what we've got coming up with that will be a blast to also... We've got something else that we want to do that uh, we plan to see culminate in some way at Monster Bash. Stay tuned for that. And thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it. Okay, so what do we have coming up this week? Well, my friend Frank Schildener returns to the show. And Frank has been on the show a few times in the past. I wanted to have him back on because he posts – well, you're going to hear about it. But there's a new book coming that I thought would be fun to talk about and – because of what the book is and what series is part of, I thought it would be fun to talk about our top three favorite vampire hunters from classic horror. Now, I went strictly movies. He took it a little differently, and I appreciated him for that. So I think you're going to enjoy the conversation that came from that. I know I had a fun time recording it and then editing the conversation. And of course, I dropped in a few trailers here and there along the way. Also, we play a game of the classic five. And a heads up about this recording with Frank. About two-thirds of the way through, Skype threw us for a loop. So I had to stop the recording and pick it back up. But this time, I actually called him on his phone. So there's a noticeable difference in sound quality. But the content's still spot on. Also in this episode, the year of Frankenstein continues here on Monster Kid Radio, where I'm going to talk about a play. Stay tuned for that. We've got some special appearances from some friends of Monster Kid Radio during that segment as well. Why don't we roll into that? right after this
2: you can't escape it
3: Maggie look
2: nothing can destroy it it's coming for you from space to wipe all living things from the face of the earth beware of the creeping unknown this woman is about to learn a terrible secret she will never be the same again Because this man knows that same secret, he will never speak again. To both of them has come terror in the form of the Creeping Unknown. Three men went into outer space. Only one of them came back. Came back a strange, distorted creature. Haunted and possessed by something beyond human understanding. What was the terrible secret he could not tell them? There's a whole new world out there, a wilderness, uncharted. And he's been there, and come back. He's got the map. Unlock his mind for me, Briscoe, and find it. I know you can do it.
4: It isn't just a I know stuff. the
2: strain and tension you've been under, but to stop now when we're so close. Brian Donlevy, he dared an experiment that shocked a nation.
1: You've destroyed him like you've destroyed everything else you've
2: touched. You can't. There's no room for personal feelings and science, Judith an experiment that created the Creeping unknown. I
5: want to cord around the entire area, evacuate all public, get information to check up every movement that's likely to take place inside this radius tonight.
6: Yes, sir.
2: Warn everyone not to touch anything unusual they may find in the streets.
7: 1964, Hammer Film Productions made a film called The Gorgon, and for some strange and inexplicable reason, this film captured my heart and imagination as a child, convincing me, Joshua Kennedy, to become a filmmaker. I was so obsessed with this film that at the age of seven, I invited all of my elementary school friends to attend a screening of The Gorgon for my birthday. At the age of ten, I convinced my father to help me direct and adapt The Gorgon for the stage. It seems so
6: amazing that the most noble work of God, the human brain, is the most revolting to the human eye. Magera is free. Since then,
7: I have continued to pay homage to this film in numerous productions of my own, culminating in two full tributes to the classics: The Night of Medusa and Dracula, A.D. 2015. In the year 2018, I will write, produce, direct, and act in a new gothic nightmare, House of the Gorgon. Oh yes, a film with a cast like no other. This is sure to be quite the experience. So, join us. Want to see House of the Gorgon become a reality? We need your help. Support the Indiegogo campaign now.
8: From Warner Brothers, who crashed the action barrier with Enter the Dragon, comes a new dimension in Black Belt Thrills. As Hammer, Masters of Horror, and the Shaw Brothers, Masters of Kung Fu, join forces to create the first martial arts horror spectacular ever film.
9: The whispered word is vampire. The horror
8: is real and very close. What you must understand is that they are already dead. i fall before them and you too will be eternally damned. legend of the seven golden vampires, starring Peter Cushing and Julie Edge, filmed entirely on location in Hong Kong, and co-starring David Chang, a new Kung Fu champion in the Black Belt Hall of Fame.
3: Strike
6: in their hearts! My brothers cannot survive another
8: attack. We've destroyed half their number. We know these creatures can die.
4: Don't give up now.
8: It's a fight to the death against the sevenfold forces of evil as Hammer and the Shaw Brothers together create the first martial arts horror spectacular ever filmed.
0: I've got one of my favorite people. You know, actually, all the guests that come on to Monster Kid Radio are my favorite people. But this is one who hasn't been on the show in a little while, and he's been keeping busy. So it's time to catch up with author, Monster Kid, fellow luchador enthusiast, Frank Schilderner. How's it going, sir?
10: Uh, well, frozen in East Coast. How are you doing out there, Derek?
0: Uh, you know, I have not checked the weather, but it's not snowing. So well, I,
10: that's I, I, some one up on you, no offense. Yeah, well, no, it's not <laughs> snowing here. It's just... It, we we, ha- we just hit zero, so we're we're real happy Ooh. out here. Oh man, yeah,
0: it's been kind of brutal all across the country for a lot of folks. So, uh. But climate change isn't real, of course. <laughs> Okay. All right. You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you don't look out the window and see Peter Cushing and and, uh, Forrest Tucker looking for the abominable snowman, I think you're probably okay. All right. Well, I'll I'll live with that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, like I said, man, you've been keeping very, very busy. You've got a new book last year. Uh, a couple of Which we've yeah. talked briefly. Yeah. Well, a couple books. Yeah. But there was one that in particular that we've mentioned on the show before. Napoleon's Vampire Hunters.
10: Yep. Yeah. That was a very unique book. Uh, it came out uh, from Black Coat Press. My editor, and publisher and uh, mentor, Jean-Marc Fissier, helped me through that one. It. Involves a character created by a man who wrote vampire novels before Stoker. Uh, this character came out about 40 years before Stoker. Oh, actually. wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, they, uh, this writer, Paul Faval, wrote three vampire books uh, 75 to 40 years ahead of Stoker. Uh, so he was really advanced. But his vampires are very different, very unique vampires. And he created a character named uh, Jean-Pierre Severin, who is a serverin, actually. Um, He is a swordmaster. He is a friend of Napoleon. And he is the uh, coroner of Paris, which was a very prestigious title back then. And he gets involved in this adventure. And uh, he's a public domain character, so Jean-Marc said why don't you consider it and i created this whole story involving napoleon's coronation and the past as well so it was a very interesting story to write and i guess it sold well enough because he let me write a second one and that's what's coming out in june it's uh, the devil plague of naples when you posted the cover of that
0: on Facebook, I thought, oh, that, that, that's a good-looking cover. I bet that's going to be a fun book.
10: Yeah, there's a, a Polish artist does did that, and I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he really – he did the first one as well, and I love this one even more. It's so spectacular. Kind of a creepy uh, jester kind of look.
0: You know, and the and, colors. So the colors are, are what stood out to me because I think when you think – you know, devil plague, vampire hunters, you're getting all kind of dark and moody, but this one's got a nice bright kind of pop of I'm colorblind, so forgive me, kind of like a sickly orange kind of thing going on and it's really
10: neat. Yeah, like a yellowish sickly orange, yeah. I mean plague, it just fits so perfectly with the book. This is the fourth time John Mark has done this to me. I haven't handed the book in. It takes at least three, four more rewrites before I'm allowed to hand it in to him. He's pretty specific that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. He doesn't want to actually have to rewrite the book for me. A silly man. right? right? <laughs> <laughs> so I told him it's finished. I'm just going to start, let it sit for a couple of weeks, and then I'll do the first rewrite and all that. And he said, well, here's the cover I'd like to use. I just want to get permission. And he sent this to me with the title, "Double Plague of Naples, on it. And I, this is the fourth time when I told him I was done that he handed me the cover. And he had the first two covers, uh, Quest of Frankenstein, Triumph of Frankenstein, and then the third one, uh, Napoleon's Vampire Hunters. So he keeps astonishing me with these amazing covers. Uh, Triumph and quest of was done by mike hoffman and one of the best artists out there such a frisettus kind of style i mean wow and this one i have to look up the name again of the artist but so incredible i mean can't lose with this guy
0: it's really nice and i'll make sure there's a link in the show notes uh to the image because it's online now
10: and people should check it out it was a lot of fun to write involving uh the naples period of napoleon his brother became the King of Naples and actually the people in Naples liked him because he lowered their taxes. Well, there you it's a go. Good get, it's a good way to start in with the new people. It's like, Hey, <laughs> I'm lowering all your taxes. It's like, okay, you're all right. Then the inspiration came from history and from one of my absolute favorite series of movies of all time. The three mothers stories from Italy. Okay. The uh, Dario Argento three mother stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other two, uh, Mother of Tears and all that. It was such a powerful image of these ancient demonic witches that it just kind of played in my head and things sort of flew out of that. Also involves mythology and some other stuff. So we had a, I had a lot of fun with this book.
0: Right on. And when does that come out?
10: June, that's the soonest, uh, and I have some other stuff coming out around the same time. We'll discuss it later, oh. but it's her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, speaking of other things that have come out, uh, I wanted to mention Tales of the Shadowmen Volume 14 Coup de Gras. Uh, it is a collection of short stories, as is all the Tales of the Shadow Men books, and uh, this one came out last year and features a story by you, as well as previous guest Micah S. Harris, and I'm holding that in my hands right now. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm excited
10: to dive into it. It's the next on the list of books to read for me. That was uh, another fun one I got to write. Uh, I got to write my one of my absolute favorite Japanese heroes of all time, uh, Zadoichi. The Blind Swordsman. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he meets this uh, Rocamble. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. I always, I always stress... If I'm pronouncing something wrong, it's just because I read it and I haven't heard it, so I don't know. And I don't speak any language but English, and I barely speak that most days. So, <laughs> so he he's like a saint kind of character, and he in, was involved in an adventure in Japan. And I threw him in with Zatoichi, the blind swordsman, who was one of the greatest of the Japanese cinematic heroes. I just love those stories. I think there's 25 of them. I have them all. Oh wow. And he has- Oh, yeah. He he played this character. um, He's not a samurai. He's a gambler. He's a blind character who walks around with a sword cane and gets involved in these adventures involving samurais and Yakuza and just these spectacular stories. And the actor who played him was uh, a martial artist himself. And even more amusing, he was doing so well, he decided to help his brother out. Who was another martial artist and actor who played the lone wolf in the baby cart movies? Okay. There are five of those, uh, best known in the United States under the Shogun Assassin movie that combined two of the movies. So he was able to play. Uh, the top one of them all, Zatoichi, and his brother probably played the equally good Lone Wolf. So it's like really not a bad family to live in.
0: Now the uh, the Lone Wolf and Cub movies they just recently came out on is a Criterion. Well, not recently, but they're on Criterion now, right? A Criterion.
10: Yes, release? they are, they, and they're great. It's a great set too. It's a very well made set. Uh, they cleaned them up a little, so they're pretty amazing movies. The character really comes off as very professional at his at his swordsmanship and the sheer nutsiness of the manga comes through in the movies the baby cart uh for the listeners who don't know he he's a uh, samurai who lost his position through political intrigue, and he was the high executioner of the shogun, which really wasn't a position, but it's fun to think about. And his job (laughs) was to cut the heads off of samurai leaders, uh, Damayo, and he lost his position by political intrigue from this ninja family, basically, the Yagayus, who are a real family, by the way, they were a real swordsmaster family of the time. And... He decides to go on the road with his baby son in a baby carriage that's more like a James Bond movie. <laughs> it's, it's got everything. I mean, it's like I know this is set in a time when guns were you know about and all that, but this baby card, you know, it would have been about seven hundred pounds with the amount of swords and guns and things oh, that wow. are all attached. To this thing. Oh yeah, it, it's a riot to watch. I mean, it is. You go into this, you have to check your brain at the door. Because you'd be saying, like, how is he living through this? <laughs> it's like, but it's fun. It's pure manga entertainment, and uh, I highly recommend them. And the Zadawichi movies, well, anytime you ever see a, a movie with a swords, a blind swordsman these days, they're probably stealing from Zadawichi. Okay. Uh, they did a remake, an American remake, called Blind Fury starring Rutger Hauer that was entirely based on – a Zatoichi movie. There were 25 Zadawichi movies, and I believe it was three seasons on TV as well. They did another movie after the main actor died, uh, starring Takeshi Kitano, who's the great Yakuza actor, who Americans only probably know from uh, Johnny Mnemonic with Keanu Reeves. He was the Yakuza boss who slices people with a sword, uh, the older one. And he was pretty a spectacular actor in that. He did a very good job. And he did something that was very unique in that movie because uh, Takeshi Kitano is a humorist as well. He's got a very good sense of humor. He decided to have this festival of the, cha- of the Japanese people of this village. But instead of doing traditional Japanese things, he brought in a tap dance troupe who dressed in samurai and period outfits and using the wooden clogs of the time, they did this whole tap dance routine, (laughs) which is the most surreal thing you'd ever see in your life. But it's very cool because the people are very excellent at what they're doing. But you're watching this like tap dancing in a samurai movie. Really? Uh, So my wife and I (laughs) saw it and we were like, what are we watching here at the end? It was Great movie, though. And they did another one recently that might not actually be a Zatoichi, but used the concept more than anything else. So the character's pretty renowned that way. So, yeah, this Zatoichi is uh, uh, where I went through with the Shadowmen, which was a pure joy because I'm a martial artist and Zatoichi is like the ultimate. well the story is
0: called dice pearl and sword and like i said it's volume 14 of tales of the shadowmen uh and that came out at the end of last year uh check out frank on amazon yeah i'll make sure there's a link to his amazon page where he's got all of his his books and the different short stories that he's put out in different anthologies Uh, you know frank you and i are friends but i'm also a big fan of what you do as a writer so uh I'm a fan as well. So, you know, this is great. Uh, Thank you for making time out of your busy writing schedule because, man, you are a beast if you follow Frank on Facebook every other day. Yeah, I'm working on this novel. I'm writing this. I did so many words. (laughs) So thank you, I mean, for doing Monster Kid Radio and and helping us, uh, I don't know, keep the show going. I appreciate all of your support over the years. And when you posted the cover for uh, the new book for Devil Plague of Naples… I thought, you know, we gotta get Frank back on and because it's part of the Napoleon Vampires Hunter series, we gotta talk about vampire hunters. But before we get to all of that, Frank, it's been so long. I've got new cards. I've got new questions. You wanna do the classic five? You
10: wanna do it? Yes, I love this. Oh.
0: Right. It was
10: funny because the first time I did it, you you and I always talk before. We always kind of do a setup talk to if for you readers uh, and l- l- readers, listeners out there, <laughs> uh, I, I'm still a writer. I'm always thinking readers. Uh, when Derek and I ever get going, it always takes us about 10, 15 minutes before we can even get started because it's like always catching up. Because while we keep in close touch on Facebook uh, all the time, there there isn't a week go by I don't, sp- I don't say something to him. Uh, we don't get to do this too often well because everybody wants to be on MKR. Ah. I mean, and <laughs> I'm glad for it because I've heard some great people that, are, you know, good friends of mine uh, and people I really respect, like Pete all was on recently. Mm-hmm. And Pete is so an, uh, amazing to listen to. And Micah Harris is an old friend for many years. And I got to meet him for the first time at Pulp Fest. So the first time he mentioned doing it, it's like we realized, and this has been like my third or fourth visit Yeah, I'd never done it before. Yeah, you got to do it, And we had a lot of fun doing it because my answers were as demented as any writers usually are. (laughs) (laughs) So I am ready, man. I love this. Well, I don't know if listeners can hear
0: it or not, but I've been giving the deck a good shuffle. So hopefully we got some new cards here, some questions you've not heard before. Are you ready to do the Classic Five, sir? I am ready. All right. So the Classic Five is a game we play with people on the show. Got a number of cards here with yes or no, this or that style questions. There are no wrong answers. It's basically just a way for listeners to get to know the guests of MKR a little bit better. Here we go with card number one of all the cards. I don't know if I would have ever picked this one for you, Frank. What classic monster movie should be turned into a musical?
10: What classic monster movie should be turned into a musical? I'm going to go with... The Dunwich Horror, just because the dementia is so great that it can't <laughs> be anything but surreal craziness for the audience. I mean, it's maybe it's not completely completely classic, but it's close enough that it's probably the first close version of a Lovecraft. We'd had ver- previous versions, but this one was probably somewhere along the lines. And the Dean Stockwell character was so surreal and the. Imagery. Yeah, stop it. He invokes the unspeakable.
6: Yeah, stop
11: it. She invites it. The Dunwich Horror, based on H.P. Lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the supernatural. Yeah. Sandra D, Dean Stockwell, Ed Begley, Sam Jaffe in the Dunwich Horror.
10: Trying to turn that into a into a Broadway musical would just—I'd pay for the one night it would be open. Wow. Well, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, Dunwich Horror. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> I dropped on that one, and you went right to it. It was like right off the top of your head. That's um, that's it. That's, you know, I like that movie actually quite a bit. It's yeah, it's it's a fun one. All right. Card number. It's- I'm sorry. Go ahead.
10: I just said it is. It's a lot of fun.
0: All right, card number two. What character from a classic monster movie would you like to hang out with for a day?
10: Classic monster movie character to hang out with for a day. I would go with Dracula, the Bela Lugosi, because he can conduct a conversation.
5: I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my
9: own judgment. Look.
2: Dracula, the very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare rats, rats, thousands,
12: millions
2: of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat, and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death.
3: Dracula?
4: Oh, what, what's he done to you, dearie? Tell he, me. He came to me. He opened the thing in his arm, and he
10: made me drink. Frankenstein's monster, though he learned to speak, lost it pretty fast. Never had much of a conversationalist. Uh, creature in black boom can't talk. Uh, the invisible man. The megalomania would just get boring after about 10 seconds. And Larry Talbot has to be the most depressing character of all time to listen to. (laughs) I mean, it's like, oh, God. So I'd have to go with Bayless Dracula.
0: All right. All right. Uh, I've I've got nothing to add there. Okay. (laughs) I do that. Uh, (laughs) All right. Card number three. And as soon as I pulled this, I had to giggle a little bit. (laughs) Which movie do you prefer? The Haunted Palace by Roger Corman, uh, or Die, Monster, Die, directed by Daniel Holler. A couple of other Lovecraft adaptations.
10: That's funny, right after the Dunwich Horror. Right? Uh, That is is too weird. Uh, I have to go with The Haunted Palace. You
11: are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. (laughs) The Haunted Palace. You... ...who find a kind of macabre joyousness in the horrifying... ...will enjoy yourselves as in ecstasy in The Haunted Palace. Starring Vincent Price, a being who
4: lived and died and lives again. I'll not have my fill of revenge until this village is a graveyard. And intriguing Deborah
11: Paget, whose appealing beauty inflames the blood of the bloodless...
6: Charles,
4: please. Well, I've been very busy, but I'm back now. Charles. Oh, no. the whole no. night before. <laughs> no.
11: His violence, no. torturous passions inflict no. both pain and terror. Lon Chaney, carrying on a family tradition of masterful motion picture horror. While the strange and feared new master of the haunted palace reaches for the skeleton of one long dead. You see? He's taken
3: her mind, her soul, just like the others. Really, this is outrageous.
4: Shall bear my curse. Burn him! Surely, after all these years, I'm entitled to a few small amusements?
10: You have the sheer incredible over the top overacting by Vincent Price. That is, I mean, there were times when he would shift from character to character. The 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 body language, the facial expressions, everything. He was trying so hard to be over the top, it was a riot. I mean, I was having mm-hmm. so much fun with that. Oh, yeah. You get the um, very decrepit version of Lon Chaney Jr. in that as well. I mean, just barely able to stand upright, it looked like it sometimes. I mean, uh, the Haunted Palace has so much to offer in it, both good and bad. And plus it was probably the first time I ever saw a Lovecraft movie where they hinted at the sheer disgusting horror of these creatures. When you looked into the pit during the whole sort of ending bit, there was an implication that was like tentacles and creepiness going on there. Mm -hmm. And I liked that. I liked the fact that there was something more there, but every time he changed uh, into Joseph Kerwin, He was like his body language became someone in over-the-top demonic. I loved it.
0: Yeah. no, His his performance in that. I mean, Vincent Price had a great voice. and I think people know him for his voice. However, he was also a very good body actor and knew how to use his body English in a way that, yeah, I think people don't consider because of the voice. And, and, yeah, his performance in that is solid. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. A lot of fun. A lot of
10: fun. And I always love a movie where the uh, villagers sound like they came from Los Angeles and they're supposed to be in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Card number four.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, Which movie do you prefer? The Brain from Planet Eros, directed by Nathan H. Duran, or The Brain That Wouldn't Die, directed by Joseph Green?
10: Brain That Wouldn't Die, Joseph Green. This really, Jeez. Oh god, I love that movie That movie is so ridiculous It's awesome
0: e- e- Even though Planet Eros has
10: John Agar I love John Agar, but I don't consider that Always his top movie And boy, it's just It was just the brand that wouldn't die just so ridiculous, it was awesome
2: You've lost the urge to experiment Oh, every time you
11: Touch
9: me, I go out of my mind Me die. Me die. Her brain kept alive by
2: experimental science, by a man whose abnormal passions inspired him to try
9: the impossible. I brought her back. She'll live and I'll get her another body.
2: Yes, and what of her soul? How can you make of her an experiment of horror? His mad ambitions and desires threaten every woman possessing an attractive body. Girls whose measurements make them beauty contest participants. Professional figure models such as this, all are prey to his distorted desires.
9: What's locked behind that door?
2: Horror. No normal mind can imagine something even more terrible than you.
4: Horror has its ultimate, and I'm that.
2: Behind that door is the sum total of Dr. Corton's mistakes.
4: He intends to kill somebody, to rob them of their body. We've got to stop
10: him. I saw it first on Channel 9 in New York, and it was an. I, I never forgot the reason I remember this movie because it was snowing really heavy. And so bad that my parents didn't kick us outside. It was that kind of dangerous. It was so bad, so cold, so dangerous. We sitting and watching, and my father came walking in and said, "They're showing old horror movies." And he changes the channel to this, and I didn't know what the heck I was watching, but I couldn't keep my eyes off of it. (laughs) So that's why. It's probably an aesthetic thing more than anything. All right,
0: fair enough. Fair enough. All right, final card, final question. Who else could have
10: or should have played Dracula? Could have or should have played Dracula. We had some really spectacular people play it over the years. I mean, you know, Bela. But I'd have to go with Lon Chaney Sr. Oh, okay. Lon Chaney, every time he ever did a movie of any kind, he embodied the character in such amazing degrees. I think we would have probably gotten the most classic version possible. The one that's closest to the book is probably the German uh, Christopher Lee version. The the Jess Franco film? The Jess Franco, yeah. I think that's closest because he tried to look the part, the mustache, the the hair, the, the style of movement. But I think that Lon Chaney would have taken it to a different level. He would have done it so that we would have never thought of anybody else uh, quite the same way as Dracula, which in a way, probably it's good it didn't happen, because if he had done that, I doubt there would have been a Bela version.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there was always the talk that he was going to be Todd Browning's choice. Right, and they had a yeah. very close
10: relationship over the years. So Yeah, yeah. I don't know that there would have been a Bela version, especially since Bela didn't speak English.
0: Yeah, so, he, his language issues would have, hmm.
10: So, you know, in the sense that it probably should have been the one who did it, in a way, I'm kind of grateful he didn't, you know? So it, it's a bad and good thing at the same time.
0: Sure. You know, I totally understand that. Huh. Yeah. Well, no, I, it'd be fun to see. that would be fun. You know, we were speaking about Vincent Price and his physical acting. Lon Chaney was a master. I mean, he had to be to work in silent film, but... Growing up in a home uh, with deaf parents, you know, you had to be able to express yourself non-verbally and what Cheney was able to do.
10: Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you watch um, even his non-horror uh, roles, which were in their own way horror. I, I always think of West of Zanzibar. Uh-huh. And the way he moved about, he, play, he plays this witch doctor who can't walk. And he spends the rest of the movie pulling himself along with just his arms and letting his legs act like they're really dead. He's called dead legs. And doing these magic tricks. uh, I won't discuss the racial implications of that, but... Well, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, when you watch the way he moves... I mean, he literally just, it's like he doesn't have workable legs, and it's spectacular and terrifying at the same time. The physical acting he did there was just, it it was mind-boggling. So uh, seeing him as Dracula might have been a world-changing experience for all of us, but it might have kept Bela from being a star, so it would have been a less interesting world. There you go. See, that's yeah. what the
0: Classic 5 is all about, is imagining these different scenarios sometimes. So how do you feel after playing the Classic 5? It's been a while, so... It
10: has been a while, but it was a lot of fun. I really... That was... The last time I did it, I had to come up with a theme park involving monsters, and I kind of... <laughs> that's uh, thats where I started talking about Hammer Horror. And, well, listeners, if you hear it, you will really n- know that there's something really wrong with me. <laughs> ah... Nah, man, this,
0: this is a safe place. It's, all, it's okay. No, it's... <laughs>
10: <laughs> I don't know. It is.
11: This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky von Helsing.
0: Frank is a monster kid through and through, and obviously if you read his fiction, you're going to see that. I first came across Frank reading uh, the was it the the, the oh, what's the name of the short story?
10: Big old scorpion.
0: Big old scorpion. That's right. I first came across his work there and story, and it's turned up a couple of different places. You can also buy it by itself for your Kindle. And you know, I, I just I recognize a kindred spirit, a fellow monster kid, when I first read that. And you know, everything that you do, even if it's something like you know the spaghetti western story you wrote not too long ago, there's always this cinematic feel to what you're doing you can kind of see the influences and i thought with the napoleon vampire hunter series we got to talk about vampire hunters we got to talk about some of these characters that over the years have thrilled us fighting these monsters for us in these classic monster movies and i thought you know it's been a long time since we've done a top three episode so let's do our top three favorite vampire hunters from classic horror with frank schilderner so that's that's what's coming up here and i'm going to go first that way we can let frank end and 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 kind of you know cap it off with his pick although chances are our uh, number one is going to be about the same so i hope that doesn't
10: ruin the surprise for anybody right uh, <laughs> if anybody's a monster kid your, your first thought on vampire hunters is probably the same as ours but we're going to leave it to the end that's right that's
0: right so my number three pick i'm, I'm going to go to hammer I'm going to go to a character played by Andrew Cure in 1966's Dracula, The Prince of Darkness. I love his character, Father Sandor, and I really wish Father Sandor had appeared in other stories because I like this guy a lot. At
5: this lonely crossroad in the Carpathian Mountains, four travelers find themselves abandoned at nightfall by a local coach driver... Who was afraid to go any further?
6: There's no driver.
5: A coach with horses that knew the way. A table laid for four. Was this kindly hospitality?
8: Isn't your master joining us for dinner?
3: No, sir. I'm afraid not. Is he indisposed?
5: He's dead. Why should a dead man be interested in entertaining guests? dracula prince of darkness king of the vampires for 10 years his mortal remains were cherished by his faithful servant awaiting the opportunity and a victim to provide the life force for the reincarnation of dracula
10: Well, yeah, Uh, Andrew Kier was, first thing, an amazing actor. Anything he did, he threw himself into it. Oh, yeah. He was, I mean, well, he's a quitter I mean, you know, it's like like you drop it right there. But he was so amazing in, in that movie. That was actually the first Hammer Dracula I ever saw. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, that was the first one. So here's the thing. There's a... Priest slash monk in Napoleon's Vampire Hunters, in the in a flashback scene with the other character Karnstein, mm-hmm. I advise you look at it again, read huh, again okay. from that point of view. Because guess you'll find influences and direct connections right there. <laughs> because I love that character.
0: No, oh, he's a great character and a great actor, Andrew Kure. You said he's Quatermass, and he is. One of Hammer's Quater Masses and his voice is fantastic. He's got such a wonderful kind of S- Scottish voice that yeah, you know, I don't know if he did any voiceover work or narration or anything, but I'd like to look into that because there's just something about his voice. I mean, he's great in Quatermass of the Pit, one of the best uh, science fiction films to come out of. Hammer and you know, speaking of Lovecraftian influence, well, there it is right there. He's also in Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which is a personal favorite of mine. Oh, but yeah, Father Sandor, that's that's my guy. I want to see more stories with him.
10: Well, that's a great choice. So well, that's my
0: number three. What's your number three, Frank? My
10: number three is going a different direction. Uh, I went okay. to, I went to the east to China. Oh, yes, to Lam Ching Ying is the name of the actor. He played a character known as the One Eyebrow Priest in Mr. Vampire. Oh! He played this character in different versions over many years. It became his signature, and I don't even know if he liked that at the end. But Lam Ching-Ying was a great martial arts actor. He was the fight coordinator for Bruce Lee's... My favorite Bruce Lee movie, most people's favorite, is Enter the Dragon. Okay. He was in his 40s, I believe, when he played this part... Though when you watch him move, he plays it. a he, 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 true martial artist. You couldn't know he was anything but 20s. Uh, he plays this Taoist priest who has to fight the Shi va- hopping vampires. And <laughs> it's spectacularly unique. It's different. And he, ta- he does it in a very serious way. And other characters that are in these movies all play these comic pulp roles in it, and he did this in a way that he was very impressive. It was—you you could even see some influences of, of other uh, Eastern and Western characters. So it's a very interesting character. He's very unique, and he's not as well known in the United States. So I had to choose him as my fir- as my number three choice because. He just had such a power to him that uh, when you watch him in this movie, you actually are are learning a whole other religion and style because he plays it very honestly. Uh, And they're also just great fun movies. Okay.
0: So so there you go. You know, I'm not as well versed in some of these uh, genre films from – that part of the world. I, I had to actually go look up Mr. Vampire. I knew the title, but I didn't know where from. And that's uh what mid
10: eighties. Yes. Is that right Mid eighties. Okay. And I believe, uh, one of Jackie Chan's brothers is in that. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. Uh, okay. He played one of the assistants. Um, uh, his name is Yoon, Yun Bao. And, uh, Yoon Bao, uh, Jackie Chan, let me let me just give a quick background here. Jackie Chan was basically sold or slash adopted by a uh, man named Yoon who had a Peking Opera Company, and he had seven kids that he sort of adopted, and uh, they kind of beat them half to death while they're training them. Lam Ching-Ying actually played that part, I believe, in a movie called Painted Faces, Written by Jackie Chan and another of his brothers, Sam Hung. Sam Hung is the oldest of the brothers, I believe. And if you ever see Sam Hung, he was in a TV show called Martial Law that I never watched. Though I actually was one of the test pilot people when we, my sister-in-law, and I went to Universal Studios, and we, oh wow, we both said, "Don't, don't put it on." <laughs> That's what we. Oh, so, so, oh no, it was so bad to us. So I never watched the TV show, but he. Sammo Hung looks like uh, like the statues of Fat Buddha. Okay. He's a chubby guy who moves as well, if not better, than Jackie Chan. And they did some great movies together because they're brothers. They're literally brothers. They were adopted by the same person. And uh, uh, Yun Bao, they, a couple of the brothers took names uh, of their teacher. Yun Bao is like the third brother. He had a pretty good career of his own, too. So it's an interesting and painted faces is an amazing movie to watch because you get to see the life that these guys led where they were basically taught to become these Peking opera, which involves martial arts and the way they did it with beatings and things like that. uh, According to, to the guys who lived it, these were kind of minor versions of what they really lived. So it's a horror show unto itself, but it's fascinating to watch. All right. There you there go. go. Huh. So that was my number three, Mr. Vampire.
0: Huh. All right. All right. <laughs> so for my number two, uh, we talked about Lugosi earlier. I'm going to go to Lugosi again. I'm going to go to 1943, The Return of the Vampire for this one. Uh, my number two is the character of Lady Jane Ainsley, played by Frieda Annescourt, and I love this character so much because she's so atypical. It's the 1940s, yet we have a strong female character, a, a, a character that is a real threat to the monster, to the villain in this thing. And and she's not just a threat to the vampire in terms that she wants to destroy him. She also helps to rehabilitate another monster. So she's got you know dual. Things happening here. She's a fighter, but she's a healer. And it's really fascinating to me to see this in a movie in the 40s. And The Return of the Vampire, which we did talk with or we had Frank J. Dello Strido on the show not too long ago to talk about uh, that film when he did a talk at Monster Bash. I say not too long ago, but that was like six months ago. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that episode. It's, it's a great film. It's a fascinating film to think about anyway. And if you consider that a lot of it may have been planned to be an actual sequel to dracula over at universal you start to see some really interesting things happening here but yeah lady jane ainsley is just a fascinating character to me and i she's not in the public domain so it's not like i can go and write a story with her but i would love to see somebody do something with that character if universal would let them or not Universal, excuse me paramount they're the ones that own this one isn't it Uh, either way great film and a great great character
4: I will take Nikki away. Her soul will wander through the night, and you will never find where her body rests. Nikki, come to me. That is one of the
10: most fascinating vampire movies to me she's fantastic in it and she's very steadfast which i really appreciated i like when a character i mean they show a progression of time but she actually improved in time and i actually really appreciated that but more importantly I, i always remember when i think of this um Writer Martin Powell once cited this. Uh, he's a very great writer of fiction. He's written some amazing books and characters over the years. He mentioned they were talking about vampires, and the vampire played by Bela in that film was one of the more frightening vampires I've ever seen in early cinema. Mm-hmm. He had no boundaries. His Tesla had no. There were no. There was no. Uh, holding back because he he attacks children, he attacks adults. He didn't care. He tortured people. He was one of the more frightening characters in this film. And at the same time, the characters that were around him, the police officers, they were actually reacting to things properly. There was an incredulity about, wait, we were just in that room and there was nobody in there. And then you're coming out of it. Yeah. Where did he go? He walked out. No, nobody walked out. There was this interplay that was meant to be humorous, but the incredulity of it made it made it perfect. So I've always found that movie to be one of the more impressive vampire movies, and she was fantastic. Oh, she's great. And I
0: did double-check, and it was August of last year, episode number 330 of Monster Kid Radio, where you actually get a recording that Frank Dello recorded specifically for Monster Kid Radio of his presentation of The Return of the Vampire highly recommend it that was a really good talk and he brings up a lot of really interesting points and comparisons and it's just fascinating to hear that man speak anyway because he's his knowledge is so deep when it comes to these types of movies and again return of the vampire if you haven't seen it listeners you really need to it's so good the vampire is really interesting Uh, just the things that are happening in this film little uh, disturbing and, and just right. Just, just perfect. So highly recommended. That's my number two. What do you got, sir?
10: I got to go where we always end up. Mexico. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. Here we go. Yes. Santo. <laughs> when you said vampire hunters, it wasn't hard. I had to put Santo right there as the number two man. Though uh, Santo fans would probably yell at me for not putting him as number one, but sorry. Right, well, you know he's, yeah, okay. What? We'll- <laughs> so, <yeah>, they can <laughs> yell all they want. Santo uh, was one of the, probably the greatest luchador movie character of them all. Though Mel Mascaras is my personal favorite. Santo made the genre. Yeah. And Santo fought everyone. He fought vampires. He fought. Regular vampires, he fought women vampires, and most importantly, he fought Dracula. And he used wrestling to win. <laughs> not science, not sorcery, wrestling. luchadors which, which film was that one? Do you remember? Do you know the, um... Um, oh, God, it just dropped out of my head, of course. Oh, of course, it just dropped out of my head where he fought Dracula and a werewolf. Okay. And one of the funniest moments of that, and you and I actually spoke about it once, uh, is the hunchback, who doesn't look like a hunchback, by the way, in any shape or form, is reviving them. And he has these perfect coffins with these clean skeletons. And he does this sacrifice with the blood on, on the skeletons. And when the vampire and the werewolf are revived, they're not only revived, but they're fully clothed. (laughs) <laughs> They're fully clothed in exactly what you would think a Dracula character would. Of course. Down to the little medallion that even uh, Grandpa Munster wore. <laughs> I mean I, I when I saw that the first time I was like this may be the greatest movie of all time.
0: So I'm not gonna be able to play a trailer for this because it's all in Spanish and, and I don't know if there's even a trailer out there that exists, but it's uh, translated. The title is Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman, it's from seventy three. And it's it's a nutty move. I mean you know, these Luchador monster movies, so I love these so much uh yes. there's so much fun and this is not the only time santo would be in a movie with a vampire there is the uh the, the famously bad vampire that turns up in is it uh, oh gosh you know, oh, the yeah. titles of these kind of blend together. But there's one where they fight other monsters as well. And there's a Frankenstein with a uh, Manchu. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He's driving the convertible. It's fantastic.
10: mustache, goatee, and driving a, a convertible. I oh. love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the first time Santo would fight vampires. And, you know, he's fought other monsters too. He's fought you know, uh, Descendant of Frankenstein and, and werewolves and had all sorts of crazy adventures. And wow. There you go. Well, I, I'm going to talk about Luchadors here in a second, but uh, that's that's a good pick, man. It's a good pick. It was a fun choice. Well, we can never do a top three list without having some honorable mentions. And I'm going I'm to go over my honorable mentions here real quick. Uh, and because we're in the Lucha mode, why don't we talk about some more luchador stuff? I did put Mil Moscros on my honorable mention list because he did do a couple of vampire films as well. One, the title I probably am going to butcher, I apologize, uh, The Vampires of Koyoi-Kan. Sure. Uh, stars yeah, him sure. In, I'll uh, take that. <laughs> It stars him and Superzon and German Robles, who was El Vampiro. So he's in that as well. But he also appeared in a movie with John Carradine, Los Vampirus. Yep. And so for that, you know, Mil is in my honorable mention list. I, I'm a big fan of Mil. I, I like all three of them and I know Santo is the big name, but for my money, I really like Mil and I really like blue demon a lot more. And I, I'm sorry, fans of Santo. I mean, I love Santo too, but there's just something a little bit more down to earth. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that about some of these movies, but there's something a little bit more down to earth about blue demon and Mil that I love. And, you know, just seeing him in a movie with John Carradine is so surreal.
10: I, I can't disagree with you about the uh, closer. I mean, no, Moscow is the only luchador of the movie variety I have ever seen live. So I've always had a thing for him and he's still working. So I'm, totally impressed by that man. He still has an incredible physique. His movies were always a little more down to earth, more cut rate, even though he was supposed to be a Doc Savage kind of character. Mm-hmm. He was like Doc Savage with no cash. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like it, it, we, we talked about um, the Mummy movie that you and I had uh, that we were on a, uh, about. And his gym was like something like staffed out of the 1950s. I mean, mm-hmm. it was so funny. The Blue Demon always fascinated me. Uh, his son actually still fights. His son was on uh, Lucha Underground a few times. Yeah, years he, ago.
0: he was in the first season of that, and he still makes appearances and does a few things here and there as well.
10: Well, that's a fascinating thing about uh, the luchadors. Their family members still do it. Bill uh, Moscaros' brother was a luchador, and his nephew was uh, Albert Del Rio, who was in the WWE as well as uh, Lucha Underground and other places. So he's a very popular, powerful wrestler. Yeah,
0: Alberto El Patron is what he calls himself now, and he is currently signed to Impact Wrestling.
10: Well, there you go. Uh, you know, I, don't, I only watch Lucha Underground because it's uses mexican mm-hmm. wrestlers the luchadores uh like pentagon jr who's known as uh, pentagon dark there mm-hmm. and other, and vampiro who is one of the commentators and sometimes jumps in the ring so i kept more on that mm-hmm. uh the blue demon interests me because he's more of a batman type figure and he's actually one of the few luchadores who beat santo in the ring. So they actually weren't like friends. They worked together, but they weren't close. Uh, he was a better wrestler than Santo, and he had a better voice too. He had a very deep, mellifluous voice, and he led the Champions of Justice. Uh, that's the <laughs> title, which is one of the screwiest movies ever. I love that movie I so much. Movie. Just the, the opening uh, – oh. Oh, I mean, it, uh, you can never go wrong with a luchador movie where, where a dozen or so luchadors are just driving motorcycles down the street. That as the, the, the opening credits of that, which is exactly
0: that, yeah, is just amazing. That. And, <laughs> his, and his number two is Mil Mascaros. So, tell you what, I, speaking of that movie, Frank, let's go yes. ahead and call it right now. I've had a lot of calls to do Lucha de Mayo again this year, do more luchador movies. You want to talk about that movie?
10: This yes. Man? All right. done. Yes. It's a yes, done deal. Done. We'll put it in the. We'll put it in the bank. We'll definitely do that. All right. Because <laughs> that one is so much fun. My friend Robert Dorf, who uh, he's a monster kid. Uh, he does a lot of hero games and stuff. He actually created a kind of background for the Blue Demon because they often didn't really have that and he created a kind of batman background for him and i really appreciate that so he always struck me as a kind of a batman hero and he did better in the champions of justice than he did in the movies he crossed over with uh the with santo because santo always had to win you know the big fight right It was, it was like in the time, there was one movie where you know they've been fighting all the time and then santo comes in at the end and wins
0: Right. As, uh, the Mummies of Guanajuato. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's, it's mostly Mill and Blue Demon. And then at the end, Santo shows up and saves the day, which, you know, it's fine. Whatever. And we had a great movie up until that point anyway. So and the movie still ends on a nice note.
10: But yeah. but yeah. But yeah, it's like a kind of dude, really. It's like we've been doing all the work and now you get it and all the credit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. Those two are just awesome. No, so that, that's on my honorable mention list. So the the other
0: name that I'm going to put on my honorable mention list is a, an actor by the name of John Onegraf. I may be mispronouncing that. He plays a character named John Meyerman, and he appears in a 1958 movie called The Return of Dracula. Now, I like this movie quite a bit. Francis Letterer is Dracula, underrated. If people haven't seen this, highly recommend this movie. It's good and creepy when it needs to be. And what I love about this film is that it establishes that Dracula is still around. Dracula is still in, as of this time, modern time, uh, 1950s. And there is a group of people in Europe that are trying to stop him. And they send this guy, John Meyerman, from Europe to America, tracking this guy, tracking Dracula to try to stop him as Dracula is taking over basically Mayberry.
10: <laughs> and it basically was, yeah. yeah.
0: And... There's just something about that this this group of people, this organized group of people that are dedicated to fighting monsters. they're not part of the government, they're not like an officially sanctioned thing, but there's this group of people uh, with disparate backgrounds. There's a priest at the beginning, and like I guess Meman's a, a, a basically a cop. It's just fascinating to me. It's always grabbed my attention. It's something that I've always loved and responded well to. And I've always thought that this character has one heck of a story to tell. Unfortunately, we never get it. The Return of the Dracula, he's not really a major part of this film. And it's not like it's a character that can be used in other stories because it's not public domain. But, man, I, I love this guy. I love this idea.
10: So that's my other honorable mention. That is a good pair of honorable mentions. Uh, I, I like those. All right, I'll, uh, let's go to my three yes. honorable mentions. Well, I'm going to go back to the east. Okay. Uh, for the first one, and the first one is a character that appeared in uh, novels, in movies, uh, comics, and other places, and that is the character Vampire Hunter D. Oh, okay. Okay. Possibly one of the cleverest, smartest, best-written series of stories. I believe there's 30 of them at this point. I have about 25 of them on my Kindle. Uh, the char- This takes place in the very distant future where vampires are not only the uh, around, they're the ruling class. Okay. And Vampire Hunter D is – it's implied through the whole series, both book and other places, uh, the two movies as well, that he is the son of Dracula, the founder of all vampires in this book, in this series, excuse me. And he goes from place to place fighting evil. And along the way, he fights vampires, he fights werewolves, demons. Uh, It's this um, Mad Max semi-future where anything can kind of go. And he is this lone hero uh, riding a mechanical horse from place to place and fighting the worst of the of the vampires out there. I first found the character when it came in the animated movie Vampire Hunter D, where he uh, fought a character, Magnus Lee, who always spoke about the ancient ancestor Dracula and how they were part of the bloodline. And it's sort of uh, implied that he's the son of Dracula himself in this. So I've got to go with him because Vampire Hunter D is a true tribute also to modern vampire movies and books. In the books, for example, there are towns named Lugosi – or Karnstein. Uh, everything is very much saying, you know, we love vampire movies in these stories. So I got to go with Vampire Hunter D. Okay. It's just fun.
6: So right that's my third, my
10: third choice there. Uh, one of my choices on that. Next. Back to the same spot, to Japan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The Japanese have a lot of influence in me. I'm a martial arts instructor and I'm a martial artist and I use Japanese martial arts. And I don't speak a word of it, but still, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm going to go with Helsing. It's spelled H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G instead of the one L that you see in the Stoker. It is the nuttiest, greatest animated thing I've ever seen in, in years. Uh, the concept is about an English knighthood that is, uh, protects the UK and their uh, friends from vampires and other threats. And the leader is female, but her name is Sir Integra Va- Helsing. Okay. Yeah, I don't understand why she became Sir Integra instead of Lady Integra, but whatever. It's their yeah. stuff. It's it, You know, the writer loves this stuff. Her number one employee is a incredibly powerful vampire named Alucard. Well, that name sounds familiar. Just a little, right? (laughs) Um, Alucard is this very tall, very thin uh, Edwardian dressed, although all in red, I believe I'm colorblind, uh, though I've read that, character (laughs) with a big slouch hat and a pair of guns that are the size of cannons. And he fights vampires and he kills them, even though he's a vampire himself. And he is perpetually amused and enjoying life while he's doing these terrible, evil things for good. It is the most demented series you'll ever see. The main enemy is a a Nazi organization known as Millennium, and they're led by this this fat little major who is kind of like a cross between uh, Fritz the Hunchback in the first Frankenstein movie okay. and Peter Laurie. And he loves violence and all of that. And he has been leading this Nazi organization that's out to destroy the world. Uh, and part of it is that he's doing it through these um, genetically created vampires through technology and it's just nuts. Now, what everybody really loves about it is the number one rivals of the Helsing organization are is the Iscariot organization by the Vatican. And they hate each other.
0: Okay. But, you know, it's
10: like, I mean, When you watch that, it's like, I didn't know that the English hated the, the Roman Catholics that much. It's like, you know, you're watching this, like, wow, your point of view is way different than the world. Um, and... <laughs> Their top priest is this giant priest who is with this deep Scottish accent in the translations. And he quotes the Bible and and has all these scary abilities, uh, you know, can heal like Wolverine and uh, can pull out bayonets uh, by the hundreds. And it's just, it's a wild ride, but it's the most fun you'll ever have watching it. Because it just gets over the top every second of it. <laughs> and Alucard is just playing fun. I mean, he walks around with this very sarcastic attitude. And when you first see him, he's talking about how, oh, the moon is so beautiful tonight. Uh, it feels like a good night for, you know, to have a bite to drink. I mean, it's just like all the old Dracula kind of jokes come out of this character at times. So that was my second one.
0: Okay, now, you so, started this, so you you told me you had three.
10: I do, I do. And, and the third one, I gotta go to America. okay, character we we didn't discuss, but is out there is Buffy the Vampire Hunter.
0: Oh, okay.
10: Buffy, the Vampire Hunter, done in a movie, done in a long running TV show that spawned uh, a second show. actually, I like the angel TV show better because it was a little more adult. Uh, the reason I have to put her on there, even though I had a lot of fun with that series, is she didn't really fight vampires that much.
0: <laughs> you know, for a series called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she yeah, that's what I understand. I, I wasn't a huge fan, so I, I, I'm i going to rely on your knowledge here. Tell me more.
10: I've seen every episode. Um, okay. I haven't really watched much Buffy. Uh, once the third season kind of ended, when they went to college, it all sort of fell apart for me over the course of time. Uh, there was some very good writing, some very good acting, and some very good characters. But vampires were almost secondary to the series over demons and other things. I mean, she fought some vampires over time, but the first season is possibly one of the best things I've ever seen because it was a single story, it was only like 12 or 13 episodes, and she fought uh, the master, who is the, this Nosferatu kind of uh, looking vampire, played by Mark Metcalf, best known to people of my age group, at least, as uh, Niedermeyer from Animal House. You're worthless and weak, and uh, <laughs> what do you want to do with your life, as he did later in the Twisted Sister videos? <laughs> I love those videos. I mean, <laughs> talk about not taking yourself seriously, but playing cool music at the same time. But, right. Yeah, yeah, I love I love. Stuff, but Martin Metcalf. The thing I really appreciate about the master in the in that series was he was very understated in his evil. He he was not ranting and screaming. He was almost like almost laid back at times, and he was ten times scarier because of it. It was very cleverly done, and I had a good time with that. So I have to put that uh, Buffy in there because. I think also the character kind of influenced people to try um, new things, to try putting female heroes out there, even though there had been, not to the quite to the degree that you'd seen after that. I mean, the opening of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the first episode did a brilliant thing to show we were gonna, they were going to play with the themes a lot. Is they have a guy and a girl walking through the high school. And she's saying she hears something and all of that, and he says, "Oh, it's nothing." And then she turns around and bites him. She's the vampire. Ah, okay. That to me said, "Okay, now we're trying something different here." And from that moment on, it became about experimenting. I mean, the pretty small, short cheerleader was the one who was doing the fighting against the big vampires. So it was, you know, it was some really clever stuff, and they played with concepts over the course of the seasons, I preferred the first three seasons because they still had vampires about it. But you know, what can you do? (laughs) There you go. There you go. So that was my three honorable mentions.
0: So, you know, I lied. I have a third.
10: Okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. I love it.
0: I I don't know how this slipped my memory, my mind, but, uh, I'm going back to hammer, man. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going back to 1974. I'm going to Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter.
10: Okay, I got a fourth. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I, really, I should have put him on there. You're right. You're right. I love that.
0: Played by Horst Johnson. And the only time Captain Kronos appeared on screen, even though there was talk at the beginning of making this a, a franchise-type character. And, okay, I know there's a lot of dissenting views when it comes to, to Captain Kronos. I love Captain
10: Kronos. Me and, too. I love that movie.
0: You know, I think a lot of the complaints about this character, about this film, are valid. You know, he's not a flawed guy. He is just just straight through. He's got no faults, whatever. But what I like about this is I'm going to compare this to the movie Excalibur in that King Arthur also has... Very few flaws. I mean, there's some big ones later on, but King Arthur has all these other characters around him to fulfill those emotional story arcs. And, you know, you got Percival doing one thing, you got Lancelot being the one character, you know, doing the emotional beats for King Arthur. And I feel like in Captain Kronos, you've got the characters around him. Fulfilling those emotional story arc needs, so Captain Kronos can focus on just hunting vampires. And I and I really I don't know if that is a comparison that's way off base or if it even makes sense. But that that's really how I view Captain Kronos. I love the guy. I I wish there were more stories with him. There was a novel not too long ago that, in my mind, didn't deliver as well as it could have. And there's currently a comic book series right now. But, yeah, Captain Cronus, man, I, I really love this film, and uh, I, I feel like I need to go watch it again all of a sudden,
10: yeah, me too now. <laughs> you see, I understand the complaints, but I have to put it point it back to the characters really meant to be the stalwart hero of the past. And mm-hmm. he didn't mm-hmm. have a chance really, to explore anything too deep. Uh, otherwise, it would have slowed down the story that they had there. It had a very clever, fast story with some implications of the Karnsteins. Yes. So I, I really appreciate that. And uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's mom at the end, very, very nice to see her again. Uh, <laughs> you know, oh, it, it, you know, I really, I gotta go back. You know, just as a side note, I, it must have been tough growing up for Benedict Cumberbatch to have a mom who guys were seriously into it when they were growing up and. Finding it out, it's like, uh, you know, I I really wouldn't have been able to listen to that as a kid. (laughs) I I think I would have been in fights like every frigging day, but that's just my point of view.
0: You know, it reminds me, I spoke with Veronica Carlson at at Monster Bash. And actually, this just appeared on the show not too long ago where she talked about, you know, her kids and and her son's friends watching her movies and how grateful she was. She never did anything too revealing and tawdry because of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
10: <laughs> yeah, it's like, that must have been rough, because, you know, she was on UFO and all this other stuff, and it's like, growing up, Penny Cumberbatch, couldn't have been easy, but okay. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it, it, that's what it is. Um, but uh, the thing I, I've always thought about is that there was a lot of untapped potential there. Like, there's a whole story, he's carrying around a samurai sword in early 19th century Europe. How? Why? You know, a lot of good stuff there that we could have seen in the future, but unfortunately, Hammer was winding down by then, and they never really got to do anything with it. I, I mean, I don't know if Brian Clemens had any other plans. Uh, there were talk of it, but, you know, there's talk of everything.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the 70s, and Hammer in the 70s kind of struggled sometimes, and it's, it's just – one of those things, when you think about Hammer, you get to the 70s, you got some good ones, and then you've got some ones that don't deliver nearly as well. Right. So it is It is what it is. Um, <laughs> but that's that's my number three, and apparently Frank's number four. Right. Okay. So should we get to our number one? Uh, I, I think we're going to be on the same page. So I'm going to let you kick it, reveal our number one.
10: In the world of vampire hunters, there's been many. There's been many themes. There's been many characters, concepts. Uh, most are based in the time period. Like nowadays, everybody seems to be a martial arts expert or has amazing devices. But in the end, it really comes down to the character himself. And one still stands above them all. One still stands as the, the pinnacle the one that nobody is ever really going to meet because he was so above it all, and that's Peter Cushing as Van Helsing. I just don't think it's possible anybody could have played a part more realistically, more powerfully, and in some ways taking moments of very flawed scripts and making it real. He was just so spectacular at that role whether he was fighting Dracula or Baron Meinster, uh Chinese vampires, when he, was, <laughs> when he was decrepit and he was still willing to get in there with them. Uh, he was just the embodiment of what a vampire hunter is. And that was the fearlessness. No matter what the odds were. He did not need devices. He did not need martial arts. He defeated Dracula with a pair of candlesticks.
0: That's right. That's right. He jumped out onto the blades of a windmill to create the shadow of a cross.
2: Come on. The Brides of Dracula. Never, never before has a motion picture revealed so much of the mystical, the unnatural. The Brides of Dracula. Out of the unknown darkness he comes, the handsomest, the most evil Dracula of them all bringing horror beyond human endurance to a fashionable girl's school. Who can resist him as one by one he seeks out his fresh, innocent victims? Who will be next to know his kiss of death as one by one he lures young beauties into the timeless, bloodless realm of the undead? Beware of pity, for he feels none. Beware of love, for none can refuse him. Never has the struggle between good and evil been so shocking and the outcome so uncertain. Terror beyond
10: telling... In color.
2: The Brides of Dracula. Dracula.
10: And he threw himself at every vampire in those early days when he physically could still do it without a drop of fear. Now, take a look for readers and listeners out there. Take a look at the sheer majestic power of Christopher Mm -hmm. Lee. And then look at little, weedy-looking Peter Cushing. There was a size difference. There was a stance difference. He didn't care. He threw himself every time at that character, without a fear of "you're stronger than me." You're a vampire. He didn't need martial arts. He didn't need powers. He just had pure yep. guts.
0: Yeah. Uh, of all the vampire hunters, I, uh, you know, out there that we've mentioned, Van Helsing really is the the, the standard bearer for me. Uh, yeah, he gets bit by a vampire and then cures himself of it. I mean, come on. That's... That, 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 what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and how does he cure himself? By
10: placing hot metal on his own throat. He refused to give in to despair. He refused to give in to fear. He just went after it every time. I always think of that because uh, that was Brides of, uh, Brides of Dracula, where he does that it was no hesitation. He felt what happened, and he immediately started working. He didn't care if it would hurt like hell, and he'd show it mm-hmm. if he hurt, because he had to do what he needed to do to save himself. And it wasn't just that he was clever. It's that he was every time he was in the room, he was commanding everything. There was a very famous scene in that where he brings the pretty French girl back to the, her school, And the very officious owner of the school is ranting on. And all he does is look at him and hands him his card and says, I'm a doctor. But he does it in such a way that the man is all of a sudden shut down. Yeah. And he's able to command the room without showing any fear of anything. He just, this is my answer. And everybody always fell in line because of his presence, which Peter Cushing, even when he was aged, was able to do.
0: and. That's the other thing. We mentioned Dracula and Brides of Dracula quite a bit. But when we first brought him up, Frank mentioned a few other places and times. He played Van Helsing, three different versions of Van Helsing. Uh, throughout his hammer career, he played Van Helsing and Dracula and Brides of Dracula. He played Lorimer Van Helsing, a descendant in Dracula 1972 AD and the Satanic Rites of Dracula. And then, uh, he played Lawrence Van Helsing in The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Now, even though they're all Van Helsings and it'd be real easy to say, well, you know, I'm just going to do Van Helsing. I do feel that he brought different characteristics to these roles, that they are distinct enough to be different Van Helsings. And that's a testament to Cushing's acting, of course. And I, I love these movies. I, I, these are some of my favorite Hammer films of all time. You put in Cushing, and, and I'm already halfway there anyway, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires is a very special film for me, and he really makes that film. What else can we say about Cushing that hasn't already been said and will probably continue to be said through the entire run of Monster Kid Radio? <laughs>
10: well, yeah. I mean, he he was the embodiment of how a Monster Kid uh, character should be played, in this modern age of, you know, the uh, of movies I enjoy, I'm not going I'm going to preface it. I enjoy superhero movies and all of that stuff. I'm a martial artist and I love martial art movies. I, I live for this stuff. I have always will take a special place for Peter Cushing because he didn't need any of that. Yep. He was able to play his heroes or his villains with just his his inner personality and spirit. I mean, most people in this world know Peter Cushing from Star Wars. Uh, you know, I, I, good, bad, or otherwise, he is still the man who stood there and slapped, uh, verbally, Darth Vader. <laughs> it's like, he didn't need to threaten him or yell. He just said, release him. And he did. <laughs> this was not something that character was prone to do, and he did it. Yep. Why? It pulled it off because you believed it. When he blew up a planet, he just turned back and uh, and said that, you know, when he's talking to Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia, he just played it off and you totally bought it. Same with the Van Helsing characters. Yep. The first Van Helsing was a very much a man of action, a man of ability. He he was almost struck me at times like a, a pulp hero. He was that kind of thinking adventurer. Very different. The Van Helsing of Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires with David Chang as the leader of the Chinese contingent wasn't as action based, but was much more thoughtful. And he but he was still throwing himself into it at every time. And he did kill Dracula in that one, so we had a good time there. And the final one when he was much older and sicker was very much the aged academic who is still willing to do what he had to, but also had limitations. It it played off very well.
0: Yep. Agreed. I'm just sitting here shaking or nodding along, which makes for great podcasting. I'm sure. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
10: Well, that's why I keep thinking about readers. It's like, you know, my brain is is still on the writer thing, but it's like, yes, I meant you.
0: (laughs) Not just people reading me. (laughs) Yep. No, it's, it's good stuff. And I mean, better or worse, all future and all vampire hunters will be compared to Cushing's Van
10: Helsing. So there you I, go. I, I kind of knew we were both going to go yeah. there, and we kind of indicated that before the uh, in our discussion. We kind of knew it, but we yeah. didn't say it to each other. Listeners, we just – this is something that Derek and I have done in the past, and we both suspected we'd be in the same spot. But neither one of us were willing to say anything because we wanted to see if the surprise – Yep.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Well, Frank, you know, I'm looking forward to reading uh, the new book, The Devil Plague of Naples, coming out from Black Coat Press with a cover by, I looked it up, Marius Gonzel. Did I say that correctly?
10: Probably. Uh, I just became Facebook friends with him last week, so... You know, forgive me for not knowing too well yeah it's
0: a great cover it is a beautiful cover and again there will be a link in the show notes I'll make sure there's a link to the black coats press site as well to uh, make sure listeners can check that out and when when does it come out you said later this summer
10: in June in June okay in June so
0: keep us posted on that and of course on any other projects coming up Frank
10: thank you very much you
0: Just can't get a couple of monster kids together to talk about one single thing. Steven Turek mentioned it in the voicemail, and you heard it happen with me and Frank. How did a conversation that was supposed to be about vampire hunters, how did that kick off talking about the Lone Wolf and Cub movies? I I don't know, but it happened, and I had a great time. So Frank, thank you for being part of the show and coming on to the show to talk about it, and I can't wait for your book to come out. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, listeners, you can pick up your own copy of Napoleon's Vampire Hunters. It's available on Amazon right now. Paperback, less than $25. Go ahead and check it out and support your fellow Monster Kid. And of course, if you haven't read The Quest of Frankenstein or The Triumph of Frankenstein yet, you're missing out. You might as well check out his entire Amazon author page. There's some quality literature in here, gang. Monster Kid Radio certainly approves. Also, if you'd like to hear more from Frank talking about Spaghetti Westerns this time, he's going to be on the next episode of the Mimiverse Audio podcast. You can find out more about that over at com. He will be appearing in a segment on that monthly podcast called The Pasta Primer.
2: From the spine-chilling world of the living dead comes a never-to-be-forgotten combination of motion picture thrills. Two great new terror hits on one sensational program at your movie theater. Horror of Dracula, plus the thing that couldn't die. Horror of Dracula. Dracula, the terrifying lover who lusts for human blood. Dracula, the human vampire who rises each night from his coffin bed to seek the rendezvous that alone can keep him alive. Who will be the bride of Dracula tonight? Horror of Dracula. All new and in flaming technicolor. Plus this second thrill hit, The Thing That Couldn't Die. What is it, this head that lives without a body? A monstrous thing that enslaves every woman, destroys every man who stares into its eyes. See both on the same show, Horror of Dracula and The Thing That Couldn't Die.
9: Hi, this is Ruby.
7: And I'm Hayter. And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine.
9: And they're all 1950s-style black-and-white movies.
7: The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits.
9: And technicians.
7: <laughs> you can find us at sainteuphoria.com
9: Or like us on Facebook.
7: That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. Hope you tune in.
8: The undead are my allies. The night is my domain. And the dark, dank tomb my dwelling place. I feast on human blood. May be yours. So beware. Beware.
11: new, all new, the return of Dracula. From beyond the grave comes the dreaded Dracula, spreading corruption and horror wherever his cursed shadow falls. Innocent beauty becomes the vampire's prey as paralyzing fear turns to hypnotic fascination.
8: You will do as I say. Yes.
4: I bring you death, a living death. One drop of your blood, and you are bound to me. Jenny Blake's soul must be freed, Doctor, and all those souls of her victims, if any. But
5: how?
2: With well, a point at stake,
4: right through the heart.
11: Come uh-huh. on.
0: Before Frankenstein could be adapted to the screen, the novel was adapted as a play, and it was done a few times, a few different versions of Frankenstein on the stage appeared over the years. and I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened since the advent of the Frankenstein films But there was one play that Mary Shelley herself was able to see. It's the first recorded theatrical adaptation of the novel had 37 performances during its original run. It was called Presumption or The Fate of Frankenstein. It was written by Richard Brinsley Peake and it appeared first in 1823. I've read the play and it's in the public domain. I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes where you can check it out over at the Romantic Circles website. Yeah, romantic circles. Don't know why, but it's it's over there. Anyway, you can read the play there. It's in text form. Uh, Because it's in the public domain, I actually took the text and turned it into a PDF and put it on my Kindle to read. And then I also shared the play with a few other people, but we'll get to that here in a second. I wanna talk briefly about the play itself. Here's what blew my mind. There's a character in the play named Fritz. Fritz, we know from the first Frankenstein film. However, Fritz doesn't appear in the novel. Fritz's first appearance actually is in this stage adaptation, and he's played a little differently. He's written a little differently. He's hes not a killer. He's not somebody who digs up graves. He's not somebody who would go and break in somewhere and steal a brain. Instead, he's a little more simple-minded, and he was played for laughs. He was originally played by a comedian, a comic of the time, a comic of the stage, Here's what some of his dialogue sounded like.
12: Oh, Fritz, 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 what does it come to? You're frightened out of your wits. Why did you ever leave your native village? Why couldn't you be happy in your native village with an innocent cow for your companion? Blessed sweet breath. Instead of coming here to the city of Geneva to be hired as a servant. What's that?
6: Oh, nothing.
12: And then how complimentary. Master only hired me because he thought I looked stupid. 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 <laughs> But am I stupid, though? To be sure, Mr. Frankenstein is a kind man, and I should respect him. But that, I thinks, is how he holds converse with somebody below, with a long tail, horns, and hooves, who shall remain nameless. What's that? Oh, a gnat on my nose. Anything frightens me now. I am so nervous. I spill all my bread and milk when I feed myself at breakfast. Lord, Lord, Lord. In the country, if a dog brayed or a donkey barked ever so loud, had no effect on me. Oh, mercy! I jumped like a maggot out of cheese. How my heart
0: beats! Originally, the role was played by a comedian by the name of Robert Keeley. This time around, the role was played by our friend, Jeff Owens, a man from ClassicHorrors.club, also the co-host of a podcast that you're going to hear a promo for here in a moment. Big thanks to Jeff for doing that. So that bit of dialogue that monologue that i pulled from the script it appears earlier in the play and the fritz character is played that way the entire time and there's a lot of lines of dialogue that if you read it and really pay attention you can see some clever word play going on here and i imagine that robert keely was a quite popular uh, comedian i mean he's even got his own wikipedia page if that means anything I want to talk also about the monster itself. Now, the monster is a lot of times referred to as a gargoyle or a demon in this play. And it's not really portrayed as something that is all gross body parts and sutures and of course the bolts in the neck was something that came along with the film but the monster itself a really interesting portrayal the monster was played by an actor by the name of Thomas Cook he's credited as Mr. T.P. Cook in the playbill as part of the dramatis personae for the play however here's something else that I think is really cool carried over into at least the Universal movies he's not named Uh, the, the monster itself has that monster question mark kind of vibe in the playbill itself, which is something you get in the Karloff film, again, uh, which is really neat to see some of these things that we associate with the Universal films turning up on stage. Also the portrayal of Dr. Frankenstein himself. He was originally played by an actor from London named James William Wallach. This time around, for this episode of Monster Kid Radio, he's being played by Joshua Kennedy. It lives... It lives. I saw
7: the dull, yellow eye of the creature open. It breathed hard, and a convulsive motion agitated its limbs. Oh, what a wretch have I formed. I had selected his features as as beautiful. Beautiful? Ah, horror. His cadaverous skin scarcely covers the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair, lustrous, black, and flowing. His teeth of pearly whiteness. These luxuriances only form more horrible contrasts with the deformities of this demon. What have I accomplished? The beauty of my dream has vanished, and breathless horror and disgust fill my heart. For this, I have deprived myself of rest and health. I have worked my brain to madness. And when I looked to reap my great reward, a flash breaks in upon my darkened soul and tells me my attempt was impious, and its fruition will be fatal to my peace forever. This dreadful specter of a human form. No, no mortal man could withstand the horror of that countenance. A mummy endued with animation could be so hideous as the wretch I have endowed with life. (laughs) Miserable and impious being that I am. Oh, Elizabeth. Brother. Brother. Agatha, faithful Agatha, <laughs> never more dare I look upon your virtuous faces, <sighs> lost.
0: lost, lost, lost. I don't know if you picked up on that, but what's interesting here is that the Elizabeth character in the films, we know Elizabeth is the betrothed of Dr. Frankenstein, nuh-uh, not here. Elizabeth is actually Frankenstein's sister. Agatha, who is the daughter of another character, a banished gentleman, is the love interest for Frankenstein in this. And just the way they kind of took the novel and translated some of the characters for the stage, I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about the process here, what Richard Brinsley Peake was doing, bringing the novel to the stage in this way and introducing some of these other characters like Fritz and changing some of the relationships. And then ultimately how this play morphed into what we saw on the silver screen. We're gonna talk a little bit more about the silver screen version of Frankenstein next time around, but it's not Boris Karloff's version. Instead, we're gonna be taking a look at a movie starring an actor by the name of Charles Ogle as the monster.
9: The story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula, the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting.
6: You must help
3: me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise.
5: try and understand this is not lucy the
9: sister you loved it's only a shell possessed and corrupted by the evil of dracula how do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims
5: castle dracula is summoned here in Klausenburg. will you tell me how i get there you ordered a meal sir as an innkeeper it's my duty to serve you
9: When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil.
12: Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast?
5: I'll never smile
12: again. Wow, that's a little mean how about you sir would you recommend the classic horrors club podcast it'll be very dangerous not only for you but for others. well we do talk about classic horror from silent screen to halloween and everything scary in between but i don't think i'd call it dangerous i think that's enough from our listeners i've always said we have the uh, best fans why don't you give us a try yourselves We meet once a month during the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast?
5: There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it.
4: Dear life, hold on to your blood, because your blood is their life, because your nightmare is their reality. They are history's deadliest vampires, creating the panic only one man can stop. Captain Cronus, vampire hunter, with death at every doorway, trembling in every heart. Now, the terror must be challenged. Who lives to destroy the curse? Kill me! Kill me! Who duels to battle the undead?
11: Her youth will pulse through your veins, my darling.
4: Who dares to bleed the bloodthirsty? Yes, you bleed, my lord. At last, horror has met its match. Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. <laughs>
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Now, I originally intended to bring you a short review, my thoughts, as well as the thoughts of my wife, Brenda, and good friend of the show, Tom Doffel, about the movie, The Shape of Water. We went to go see it last weekend. I really enjoyed it. And of course, by now, you've probably heard that Guillermo del Toro has won the Golden Globe for Best Director. And if you go on YouTube, you can find his acceptance speech, where he name drops one of, you know... I'm going to call him one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio. It's pretty darn cool to see a Monster Kid do that good. It's amazing. As for the movie itself, like I said, I wanted to bring you a review from the theater, but I'm just going to give you a real broad overview here. I dug it. I thought it ran a little long. And I think there were a few things that could have been tweaked here and there. I don't want to spoil the movie. It's a brand new film. I would have liked to have seen The Amphibian Man. And suddenly you might realize why I decided to play a song from the band Amphibian Man in this episode. I would have liked to have seen the Amphibian Man do something slightly different with the villain at the very end of the movie. I'd be happy to discuss it on Facebook if people want to talk about it there. Again, though, I want to stay away from spoilers because it's still playing in the theater. I think it's something that you would enjoy seeing on the big screen. Del Toro is becoming, in my mind... A modern-day Terrence Fisher. Terrence Fisher always approached the Hammer films that he did as fairy tales for adults, you know, grown-up fairy tales. The the monster movies, there were monster movies, but there were also fairy tales involving monsters, and I feel like Del Toro has really kind of taken on that modern-day role. with Movies like Pan's Labyrinth, of course, and then definitely The Shape of Water. It's a fairy tale. It's really interesting to me that we can have a movie like this and kind of imagine what would have happened if Del Toro actually did take over Universal's Dark Universe? Would we have ended up with a movie like this as the Dark Universe's creature from the Black Lagoon analog? Maybe. I think Del Toro gets it on a level that so many modern-day filmmakers just don't. The monster design in this is phenomenal. It looks really really good it's intimidating when it needs to be it's scary when it needs to be but it also has an innocence in its face especially and just the way it breathes reminds you of the gill man it is definitely an homage to the gill man of course del Toro's always had a thing for sea creatures there have been a couple of articles that have popped up on my facebook feed about that but this one just feels the most relatable to me Del Toro does talk about this movie being about the love of the other and how he has been the other in the past and finding love in the other or being an other and being loved. It's really one of the themes of this film in a couple of different ways. And I highly recommend it. I think it's really good. And I'm curious to see what's going to happen with the Academy Awards and what kind of nominations it may or may not grab. If nothing else, golden globe monster kids got a golden globe on his shelf now that's that's pretty darn cool so that's that i did have the recorder but it just didn't quite work out i'm not sure why my sd card decided to fritz out on me <laughs> fritz <laughs> uh, no. hmm. anyway i'm not sure why the sd card decided not to work but that, those are my thoughts and i think brenda and tom were pretty much in agreement with me uh, i think brenda had a few more minor issues with it than i did um uh, But overall, big thumbs up from all of us. And thanks to Brenda and Tom for being part of the show that didn't actually make it. Where was I? Yes, this is the end of the episode. (laughs) I want to thank everybody for being part of the show this week. Of course, Frank is a great friend of Monster Kid Radio. And we are going to have him back in for Lucha de Mayo when we talk about luchador movies during the month of May. We are doing the Champions of Justice. I've got that on my list of to do in 2018. It's going to happen. Also, big thanks to Jeff. Okay, and actually, I just got interrupted by my wife, who is also just as white as me, if not more, because she's from Alaska. Apparently, I'm saying mayo like mayonnaise. That's not quite what I meant. It's luchador mayo like Cinco de de Mayo. We're doing luchador movies in May. And Frank's going to be there. Anyway, if I can get back to what I was talking about here, we've got Joshua Kennedy and Jeff Owens in this episode. Big thanks to them. Have you helped out Joshua Kennedy's Indiegogo campaign for his upcoming movie, House of the Gorgon? Time is running out. The deadline is coming. I've seen pictures of the set. Well, if you follow him on Facebook, you've seen pictures of them, too. They're in construction right now. They've got Carolyn Monroe. Martin Bezoi, Christopher Neem, Veronica Carlson, all lined up. Hammer Legends, all going to be in the same film for the very first time. All four of them together. How amazing is that? And Joshua Kennedy has been pretty much building up to this his entire life. Listen to the videos on Indiegogo and follow along. And if you can't contribute financially, well, maybe just share it on your Facebook feed or your Twitter. Just let people know about it because time is running out. And we all want to see this movie be made. Of course, if you head over to monsterkidradio.net, you can find all the show notes, all the links everything that we've talked about here on the show, as well as links to our Facebook page and Facebook group. We've had some new members join the group. Welcome aboard. I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing and reading in the Facebook group, and I hope you like the page. We're trying to get as many likes as we possibly can over on Facebook. I don't think I've mentioned this lately, but we've got over a 1,000 likes. We've got 1,218 likes on Facebook. If you're one of those people that liked us on Facebook... Thank you. If you haven't done so and you use Facebook, please consider hopping over there and giving us a like. The more likes we have on Facebook, the more visibility we get in people's Facebook's feeds. Maybe. I don't know how the algorithms work, and I don't know if anybody else really does too, but I'm assuming the more likes, the better. So if you're a Facebook user, please consider doing that. If you're an iTunes user, please consider giving us an honest review in the iTunes store. Would really appreciate that as well. And if you are a telephone user, please consider giving us a call, leaving us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503 795 MKR or you can send us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com next week on the show another author another old friend it's Dwight Kemper he's coming to the show and we're going to be talking about another Frankenstein movie it's not part of the year of Frankenstein is just a movie that Dwight really likes it's Frankenstein meets the space monster
3: do your eyes dare witness total terror Frankenstein meets the space monster. This is it for the first time on the screen. America's missile might. Mobilized against annihilating invaders from outer space. We have come here to this planet for... One purpose only, to acquire breeding stock to repopulate our planet. See, the kidnapping of the Earth maidens for the love-starved slaves of the sterile planet. Very good. We have done well, Nadia. I am pleased, Princess. You are satisfied. I will be satisfied when we have enough more like her to commence phase three. See! The terrifying invasion of the beach party. See a United States astro-robot become a creature of death. For the first time, C Earth horror versus Space Terror. C Frankenstein meets a space monster in Futurama.
0: Wanna be honest, I really resisted this movie when I first found out about it. There's something about the ads, the lobby cards, that weird-looking alien, the bald guy with the creepy grin. It put me off, and I did not want to watch this movie. By the time I finally did, I was so glad I did, because I love this movie. It's a lot of fun, and I can't wait to share next week's episode with you guys and gals for episode 353 of the podcast. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 unported license, except for the song... Apocalypse Now. That belongs to the band Amphibian Man. They're a surf band based out of Kiev in the Ukraine. You can find them at amphibianman.bandcamp.com and check out the four-song EP, also titled Apocalypse Now. You can buy it and name your price. I don't know what kind of a better deal you can find than that on Bandcamp. Check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek Kim Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.